Good morning, everyone. How are you guys today? It's my pleasure to be here to share the word with you. I thank you. For one, I thank you guys for being a light in a city that has notoriously been called Sin City. And I know a lot of you guys, you don't know a whole lot about me, but I was uh, privileged to be able to talk to your pastor, Travis, and tell him that, you know, I used to live in Vegas. And, you know, when I used to live out here, this was back in the 90s, and my life was completely different. You see, I lived a life that indulged with the things of the world. Um, But the Lord was faithful because even then the Lord used people who were going to church to be a witness for me. Now, I don't want to get too much into my testimony, but I think it's just important to remember and also be encouraged that the Lord is still using you. When you're praying and when you're sharing God's word, you're doing the will of God. And I'm absolutely um, encouraged. And to be able to come back here years later, um, I think I moved back in 2001. The Lord saved me in 2000. And, yeah, the Lord saved me in 2001. So I was out here from the time of 94 up into that point. And so I'm just thankful and I'm encouraged that you're here. You're a light. You're sharing God's word. And I'm also thankful for your pastor as well. And if you guys can, go ahead, turn your Bibles here to 1 John. And we're going to look at 1 John chapter 2, and we are going to start in verses 15 through 17. John, 1 John chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 2, 15 through 17. And, you know, it's really interesting to me as well, because if you would have asked me, in 96 or 97, are you a Christian? I would have said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I grew up going to church. In fact, you know, when I, I used to serve, I was in the military, and I had dog tags, and it has a religious affiliation. And they would say, oh, well, are you a Christian? I'm like, yes, I'm a Christian. My, my dog tags, they say Baptist. Of course I am. I'm an American. Of course I'm a Christian. But the truth of the matter was, I, I was not a Christian. You see, I, I did not bear the fruit of a Christian. I did not live the life that God had called us to be as Christians and lights of the world. You see, in this passage right here, John gives, us, gives you three reasons why Christians should not love the world. Namely, that your faith displays authenticity before a watching world and ultimately before God who is also watching you. So I'm going to go ahead and read 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And the word of God says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And Father, we do come before you. Lord, thanking you for the truth of your gospel, the truth of your word. And we thank you that you are a missional God, that you sought us and you pulled us out of the world, God. Father, I do pray that you would bless this time. I pray, God, that you would increase our affections for you. 
Father, I pray for encouragement for tired souls. Father, I pray that you would give us vision for things that are eternal. God, that you would give enlightenment to know Christ even more. Conviction for those walking in sin, Lord God, that they would walk closer to you or even repent if needs be, Lord. And Father, I pray that there is an admonishment for those who are straying, Lord, and are being lured by the things of the world. Father, I pray that you would please give me clarity. Give us all ears to hear your voice. I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to perceive the greatness of our King and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And may Christ be glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a little bit of a background about 1 John. I appreciate Anthony up here sharing because he was talking about history. And how it's really important that we understand the context of a book so that way we can, we're able to come up with the correct interpretation. And the book of 1 John, it's, it's known for this test. In other words, there's this idea of, are you truly a Christian? If you pass these particular tests, it tends to um, give you a sense of certainty of your authentic faith in Christ. Do you believe that Jesus came in the flesh? Do you believe that Jesus is the way to God. Do you believe that you have to walk in according to the ways of the Lord? So there are a number of tests, and if we're passing these tests, it gives us this sense of assurance that we're actually walking with God. There is, many will say that this might have been pre-Gnostic teachings, meaning that there was this idea that um, there was this secret knowledge. You had certain sects that would say that, well, Jesus did not come in the flesh. And so this is why you're seeing John saying that you have to believe that he actually came in the flesh. They were denying that. And so you have these different sects that would say that material things were evil and spiritual things were good. You had some would hold on and say, well, you know, we have to have an ascetic lifestyle. So we're going to deny, deny anything of the flesh. Or you have some who had more of an antinomian lifestyle, meaning that, well, I'm just going to do anything in my flesh, and it's okay because it doesn't really matter. You see, this teaching was starting to have an effect in the church. And so John, just as a pastor should, he is encouraging them and he is admonishing them to, hey, don't give in to the ways of the world. Don't give in to this false teaching. And so he gives this command right here. In verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. And what is interesting about John is that he doesn't give an imperative. He doesn't give a command all the time. If we were to just look at this little epistle that has 2,100 words, there are a total of 11 commands. If we were to compare this epistle would say Ephesians, which has about 2,100 words as well, there's, about, there's over 40 commands. In other words, Paul the Apostle gives four times as many commands in one epistle as opposed to John. John, so when he gives a command, our, our ears should perk up. It's kind of like having that older man in your life that he doesn't seem to talk a whole lot, but when he does, it's really profound. 
And so you like you you like okay, well he's saying I, he's speaking. I, I really want to listen to what he has to say. So John is the same way. So when he's given an imperative, it's like whoa. I have a lot of respect for this man. I really want to listen. So John says, "Do not love the world." Another interesting thing is that John is also known as that apostle, the apostle of love. This word in, in Greek, the verb to love, agapao, is used about a hundred and something times in the New Testament. And John, he uses it 68 times. He's always talking about the love of God. He was the disciple who laid his head on the breast of Christ. He is the disciple whom Jesus loved. He, he, he speaks with a sense of tenderness. So it's not so much, don't do this, don't do that. It's like this grandfather who's very loving and compassionate and warm. And he comes alongside you and he puts his arm around you and says, do not love the world. Do not love the world. You see, we understand love rightfully so as, as that unconditional love that God has for us and sending his only begotten son to die on behalf of sinners that we can have a relationship with God. But here, it, it, this, this word for love, it, it means to have warm affections, to have an allegiance for something. And so when we're talking about the world, the world also, it's not just the created universe. It's not just the, the things in the earth. It, it's a realm. It's a system. It's a, it's a particular group of people who are contrary to God. They're in opposition to God. John, he has a lot to say about the world. You see, if we were to flip over, look in 1 John 5.19. Again, because he has a whole lot to say about the world. And he says, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You see, the world is under the sway, it's under the allurement, it has an allegiance to the so-called God of this age, Satan. It's demonic, it's sensual, it's anti-God, it doesn't want to serve God, it is in opposition to God. We see that all the way back when Adam and Eve, when they rebelled against God. And ever since then, sin came into the world, death came into the world. And because of that, the world has constantly been in opposition to the God of the world, the God of creation. So when we're talking about the world, we're not just talking about the universe. We're talking about a particular group of people who are under a system who are against or oppose God. And he goes on, go back to 2.15. And he says, don't, not only not to love the world, but do not love the things in the world. You see, the things in the world is the stuff that would draw you away from God. The stuff can be things that we desire more than God in his ways. It is to covet. It is to have an idolatrous desire. It's to serve the creation rather than the creator. This does not mean we cannot enjoy the things of God because God gives us things to enjoy. And even Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes says, enjoy those things that God gives you. The world, the things, the matter, those things are not necessarily evil in and of themselves, but when those things, those desires for those things are greater than God, that's where the issue is. So John is saying, do not love the world nor the things in the world. 
Let me give you some characteristics of the world. Look at 1 John 3, 1. And he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. This is the children of God. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. We can look at legislation. (laughs) We can look at the things that are being passed today. The world doesn't know us. It doesn't embrace us. It doesn't like us. Look at 1 John 3.13. 1 John 3.13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Again, getting back to what Anthony was saying earlier, talking about history, the history of the church. We have, I don't know if if you guys know that we have been blessed in this country and probably experienced more peace with God and peace with man than probably any other time in history. The church, the people of God, has always been a minority, always been a minority, always been persecuted. And we can look all the way back to the first, second, and third century when they used to take Christians, they would actually burn them as lamps. They would be light for the light. They would be light for the night. It was brutal. But yet, people did not deny who Jesus was. Recant. Polycarp, he's, he was talking about his Lord Jesus, he, how he served him for 86 years and how Jesus was always with him. How can I deny my Lord? We live in a time period today where how can we deny our Lord who has done so much for us, who has called us to himself? Look at 1 John 4.3. And it says this, in every spirit that does not confess, Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. The Antichrist is in the world. And if we were to read the entire book, we also know that there are many Antichrists, meaning that people are opposed or they're against Christ. They're in opposition to Christ. They deny that he is Lord. They deny that he is the savior of the world. They deny that he is fully God and fully man. If we were to look at John 15, 18 through 19, Jesus tells his disciples, if they hated me, they're also going to hate you. And he also says, they hate me because I declare and I speak and I say that their works, their deeds, they're evil. That's why they hate me. So as Christians, as those lights of Christ to go out and to declare and proclaim God's word, guess what? If we're doing the truth of God's word, they're going to hate you also. When you say that homosexuality is sin and is an opposition to God, guess what? They're going to hate you. When you agree with legislation that says that it's okay for a man to become a woman or a woman to become a man, that's against and that opposes God. They're going to hate you for it. So the Apostle John is saying, do not love the world. Don't have warm, affectionate feelings for the world. Do not be in allegiance with the world. The world, you see, is a system, the inhabited earth that seeks to corrupt, pervert, and lure mankind away from God, and that results in eternal separation from the creator of the earth. But Christians, you and I, we are a peculiar people. 
overcome the world because of our faith in Jesus. Look at 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? See, you and I, we overcome the world because of what Jesus has done. He brought us out of the world. And we're the only people that are saved from the world because we have the only Savior for the world, and that is Jesus. And because of that, we want to take joy in what we have in him. You see, we are distinct, the called out ones to proclaim the greatness of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, I have three reasons here why we are not to love the world. And my first reason, again, we're going to get to verse 15, is number one is the Father's love. We do not love the world because of the Father's love. Look at 2.15 again. And it says right here, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And this love, it's objective, meaning that God is the object. He is the person that we love. We seek him. We pursue him. We have our allegiance with him. But we also have to understand that this love, it's not in and of ourselves. The Bible tells us that no one sees God. There is no one who understands. So God, in his great mercy, he originates that love by sending his son Jesus to die on our behalf. Christ loves us by dying on our behalf. If we look at 1 John 4.10, again, let's see what John has to say. He has a lot to say about love. He says, and this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means that Jesus took our place. When he went to the cross, it should have been you and I. He took our place. He took our penalty. But not only that, but he gave us his righteousness. He was perfect. He was righteous. He was holy. And so when the father looks at us, he looks at us through the blood of Christ and he says, righteous, declared righteous. I don't have to do anything to earn that anymore. That's the goodness of God's love. And because of that, the Father, God, he becomes the object of our love. We love him because he first loved us. And this kind of love also, it also has no rivals. There is no competition for our love for God. Again, love is not mere duty, but an affection for God and the things of God. You see, love it originates from the heart. It motivates our every move and empowers, empowers us in steadfast acts and keeps us from covenant heart that would compel us to be lured by competing allegiances of the world. That's what the love of God does in us. It lures or it, it, it keeps us in him. But the thing is that if we lack this love, it discloses your true identity. If we don't have a love for the Father that is expressed through loving his people in the church, that is expressed as to being able to leave an imprint of Christ wherever we go, whether it's work, school, or what are our spheres of influence, it's probably because there's a disconnection there that we truly don't have the love of God in us. So if we don't have that love, it, it's an indication 
that something is wanting. If you do not love God by keeping his commands and precepts, it is an indication that your faith may not be genuine. John says very clear, if anyone loves me, he would, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, it is a scary thing if your affections are for the things of the world more than the Father. You see, it is a scary thing that if your loyalty is to the world rather than the God of creation. It is a scary thing to be in the grips of the world and its sway, allured by passing pleasures of sin. That again, that is contrary to who God is. And I also have to say that this is not works. Because many times we'll look at these tests and we'll say, well, you know what? I'm doing all of these things. I'm, I'm keeping the rules. This is not about works. It's about rebirth. As mentioned, our love for God, or God being the object of our love, it did not originate with us. It was God who sent his son on behalf of us. It was God who demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to die on our behalf. It was God who sealed us by his Holy, Holy Spirit, but it was also God through the Holy Spirit who poured the love of God in our hearts. It's all God's work. It's all God's doing. And because of that, it moves us to do those things. This is not works. We're talking about rebirth here, being born again, being born of the Spirit. When I talk about how I used to say that I was a Christian, I was not born again. I might pray at night, but I wasn't praying in the spirit. God didn't hear those prayers because I wasn't born again. I needed to be born again, which is a passive voice, meaning that it's something that God is doing to me rather than me imposing upon God. When we look at this verse as well, it also does not mean that there is no temptations for Christians. It says very clearly, if we were to look at James 1.14, he says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. We still have the flesh, the carnal side of us. We still have this part of us that awaits the redemption of our bodies, that still is um, in want of things of the world. And so we, like Paul, we want to put to death those deeds of the body. We want to crucify the flesh. Paul says that I die daily. That has to be our attitude. And Jesus also says in Luke 17, 1, that it is impossible for temptations to not happen. We will be tempted. We will be um, entertained. But will we give in to it? You see, the difference between the Christian <laughs> And the person of the world is that the person of the world, there is no conviction. They just kind of do and indulge and kind of do any and everything that they want to do. The Christian will battle. He'll fight. And as he continues to know more in Christ and his mind is being renewed more and more into the image of Christ, he starts to walk more and more like holiness. This is what we have this word called sanctification. There's this process of becoming more and more like Christ. You know, when I got saved, I knew I shouldn't hit anybody. <laughs> but then I started to recognize that, oh, okay, the motive behind my wanting to hit that person is not good either. When you're walking with God, your heart starts to get disclosed and you start, oh, no one else can see it. There's a conviction that's already internal. And I think many of you already can recognize that as you have been walking with the Lord and maturing more and more with the Lord. Christian, you 
do not love the world because of the Father's character. The Father's character. Look at verse 16. And it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. See, the Apostle John now gives more of a description of the world and the things in the world. Referring back to verse 15. You see, these three descriptions are an abhorrence against God. If we looked at, for instance, in Romans 8.13, it says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil mouth and the perverse mouth I hate, says the Lord. God hates sin. I know we don't like to talk a lot about God's hatred, but he actually does hate the sinner who walks in that sin. He hates it. The sinner is opposed to God. In the world, it doesn't want to abide in the Father's character, his goodness, his morality, his ethics. See, the world, it's sensual, it's lustful, it's demonic, and it originates from Satan and his minions, and thus they are earthly. See, those who do the things are not of God, that is those who practice them, those who seek them or finds pleasure in them. And what we see in verse 16, he starts to give a greater description. He talks about the internal desires and also the external desires. Again, look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh. Now, this word desire or lust, it could be used. You can have a good desire for some things. Paul talks about, I think it's the Corinthians, how I desire your holiness, essentially. But in this case, there's a negative connotation. There's this desire for things that are inordinate, desires for things that are, again, are in opposition to God's character. And then when we look at the word flesh here, the word flesh could be understood as the body parts or the physical body, but here it's speaking of carnality. It's talking about the sinfulness of man. It's talking about the sensual desires. It talks about depravity. It is within. It's internal. You know, it's because I'm internally or I have depravity that I desire things that are contrary to who God is. Again, if we were to look at that um, James passage, it says that God cannot be tempted by sin. So you can put all the temptations in front of God. God's like, I'm not tempted by it. But he put it in front of us. Because we have this internal desire, it desires those things. It's lured. And we can give in to those temptations. So again, Paul, or excuse me, John, is saying, do not love the world. Why? Because the desires of the flesh. But we also see that there are external desires as well. Look at here in verse 16 again. He says the desires of the eyes. Again, the desires or lusts have to do with inordinate desire. But here we're dealing with the desires of the eyes. This lust, desire is outward. Unlike the desires of the flesh that are within or internal this desire is aroused by outward or external stimulus. And it's like a dog who has a big piece of meat placed in front of him. He starts to salivate over it. And he wants to go after it. It's kind of like, I don't know if you guys ever do this, but you're watch, watching television and you see people who are really fit and they're working out and you have this desire, like, oh, I'm going to work out. It might only last for a little while. But still, you're, 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 you're being stimulated by an outward stimulus. 
Same idea here. There's, there's this desire that when we see it, we just want it. We have biblical examples of this. If we look at Genesis chapter 3, we, what, is, what happens with Eve? She was told not to eat a particular fruit. But when Satan came alongside her and tempted her, she saw that the fruit was desirable. She saw that it was pleasant and she took it and she ate and she gave it to her husband. There is another uh, in the narratives of, in Joshua when, when Israel is going to go conquer the lands that God had promised them, that God had promised them, there is a man by the name of Akan. And he's told, hey, don't, you're, you're, you guys are not to take the spoil of the victory. But Akan, he, he says, I, I, I looked at the 15 shekels of silver. I looked at the bars of gold and I, I coveted them. He saw it and he did something exactly what God had told him not to do. So therefore he died because of his own sin. There's more. We can look at David. In the times when kings were to go to war, he's just on a rooftop, just kind of hanging out. And he sees a woman bathing, Bathsheba. He looks, he lusts for her, he desires her, he gets her, and what does he do? He has an adulterous affair with her. And God says the sword, because of that sin, shall not depart from your house. And it wreaked mayhem for the rest of his kingdom years. So you and I also can be Lord, even though we are Christians. But again, the world, they're characterized by these desires that are contrary to who God is. But there's more. When we think about the eyes, we can also think about our Lord Jesus. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew 6, 22 and 23, Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? You see, if your eye is good, your whole body will desire good things. You would listen to what Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. We would love the things of God. Christian, you see, you and I, we have been delivered from the corruption of the eyes that have been that are, are within. And so we can have a desire for the things of God. You see, when we have eyes, when our eyes are blind. And again, this, you see this all throughout the scriptures with Jesus when he heals and he does miracles and he heals the eyes of the blind. It was an indication that he had the power to open blind eyes. And when we talk about the solution to the blindness, this is exactly what Jesus does. The Bible says in um, Proverbs 20, verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord, he is the maker of them all. If we were to look at Psalm 146, verse 8, it says to, that the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. When we look at John chapter 3 and we see Jesus interacting with Nicodemus, he says no one can enter into the kingdom unless one is born again. Jesus opens our eyes that we are able to behold the glory and the wonders of God, making us a peculiar people, separate people, distinct from the world. It's all of what he has done. So we see the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, but there's also the pride of life. He said, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. 
And this word pride, it's only used two times in the New Testament. And it speaks of arrogance or having this um, pretentious nature. The idea is one making more of himself than he actually is. It is a man who thinks he is sovereignly in control of his own life. Get what I just said? This is a man who sovereignly thinks that he is in control of his own life. It's kind of like if you can believe it, you can achieve it without acknowledging God. I can do anything that I want to do. I behold my own outcome. Turn your Bible to James 4, 13 through 16. Let me read something for you. And I think it captures this as well. James 4, 13 through 16. And this is James. He says, come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there in trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. And this is what the world does. And this is sometimes things that we can be guilty of. You say, well, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to go get this job. I'm going to do. But instead, we need to say, if the Lord wills. God is always in control of everything. But then turn back to 1 John 2, 16. See, that's the pride that's going on. There's this arrogance that is apart from God. But then it has the the pride of life. In this word life, you might have a note there. It says uh, pride in possessions. This word life, um, it's bios in Greek. And usually you have this other word, which means like a living being, like I have my life in myself. But this idea has more of an idea of like goods. Look at 1 John 3.17. Because the same word is used, and hopefully it gives you a better indication of what's going on here. First John 3.17. And it says, but if anyone has the world's goods, all right, that word goods right there, that's also the same Greek word. It's bias. In other words, I'm finding my pride in these things and my pursuit of these things. Or it can be used the other way as well. Because of my possessions, I have pride. And we, can probably, we probably don't have to be dogmatic on that, but the idea is that many times we can have, because of all the things that we have, it's like, look at me, look at my car, look at my house, look at X, Y, and Z. And again, it's not that these things are bad in and of themselves, but again, I'm finding my pride in these things. They have taken over. They have become my idol. These are the things that I covet after, and I want these things more than I want God. And so the apostle says, these things, they're not from the Father, but they are from the world. Remember, even though we're Christian, we can still sin. And we can still give in to some of these particular sins that we're seeing in here. This is what 
was going on, what the Christian John was addressing at that particular time. Remember, the book of John is about authentic Christianity. There were teachers that were coming around wanting to entice true Christians. They wanted to tickle their ears. Same thing today. Turn on, I don't even know the networks anymore. <laughs> you turn it on in health, wealth, prosperity, you just believe it enough, and it's just, it's, this is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's not what Jesus died for. And you have people who are coming and parading and they're coming in and trying to get you, trying to allure you. And they don't stick around. And if we were to look at 1 John verse two, chapter 2, verse 19, it speaks of these teachers who were coming in. They, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had con- been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Someone's works eventually will manifest itself. And it's not just teachers. Many times we can see people in our own congregation. How many people I've known that I've walked with, went on missionary trips with, who seem to confess a right relationship with God only later to see them falling? And we say, well, did they lose their salvation? No, they were never saved. They never knew Christ. People who will confess that they believe Jesus, but they don't go to church. People who say that they believe in Jesus, but they don't do what God calls them to do in the Bible. Over 50, 60% of this country says that they're Christian. Where is our country headed right now? It opposes God. And we don't want to be that way. But then some of you might say, well, I'm not as sinful as others. (laughs) This does not mean that a person is as sinful as he can be. You might be in the congregation today and you say, well, you know, I'm not as bad as Hitler. I'm not as a murderer or an adulterer. I never killed anyone. In fact, I I give the good causes. I'm, I'm a good person. Jesus clearly told the young rich ruler, why do you say that I'm good? No one is good but one, that is God. You see, you might be good when you compare yourself to others. You might be good because you do a few more good works than others. You might be good if you do these things, but that's not the standard. The standard is God, and he's perfect. And frankly, if you believe that you're a good person, you're going to die in your pride. And I'm not talking about a physical death. I'm talking about an eternal separation from God. Though you may not sin as evil as the rest of the world, you are still guilty before a holy and a just God because God is absolutely holy absolutely perfect. There is no darkness in God. There is no sin. There is no mistake with God. We all fall short of the standard of God. If we're not born again, we are under the power of the world. Whether you think it's a little sin or a big sin, you're still guilty. And I would plead with you, if that's you, that you would put your faith in Christ and not being a good person. Christian, you are not to love the world, number three, because of the Father's will. Look at verse 17. 
And it says, And the world is passing away along with its desires. But the, whoever does the will of God abides forever. Again, the world opposes the Father's will. When I say the Father's will, I'm speaking of his precepts, his commands and laws. You see, the world rejects God's will and instead follows the dictates of their own hearts. The world follows its own rules, its own laws, and again, it's anti-God. This has been the problem since Adam and Eve at the forbidden, when they ate the forbidden fruit, thus causing sin to come into the world that resulted in death. This death is more than physical, it is spiritual. Men, because of their rebellion against God, are spiritually dead. You see, in God is life, and the only way to have that life is to have faith in his son Jesus, entrusting yourself to his lordship. It is to believe that God came as man, fully God, fully man, to bear the sins upon himself at Calvary for you and for me. It is to believe the resurrection, which is the the means by which we are justified. But the world, it rejects this. The world rejects the Father's will. And the result is it is going to pass away. Because of the world's rejection, it's going out of existence. This word, when we talk about passing away, it's... It's to disappear. And because it is a present sense, there is this consistent or continual passing away. In other words, it is in the process of going out. Oh, you might ask, well, well, how is it passing away? It seems like the world just continues on. And I think if you were to look at 1 John 2, 8, it helps to shed a little bit more light on this. And it says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. When we talk about that light, if we we go back to John chapter one or even think about Jesus when he says that I am the light of the world, he is that light that is shining. And if we were to look at John chapter one, verse five, it talks about how the darkness, it, it could not overcome. It could not comprehend. It could not conquer that light. And as Jesus is the light of this world, guess what? We are still going to be here. And if we pass on because we suffer, guess what? We're going to be with the Lord. But there's this idea that the world and its lust, its darkness, it's passing away. Why? Because Jesus is the light. He's on the throne. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 3. Hopefully this will give a little bit more clarity. John chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 18 and 19. 18 and 19. And it says, and this is our Lord speaking. Jesus says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now, let's go back to verse 18 and just underline that condemned already. It's like the punishment, or excuse me, the, the, the verdict has already gone out. Already guilty, already condemned, already judged. 
it just awaits that final time when Jesus is going to come. And so the, the John, the apostle, seems to be speaking of an already and not yet idea of what's going on. Already, the verdict is going out. But there's still execution that's going to happen later on. And if we look later on in 1 um, John 2.28, it, it talks about the appearance, the appearance or Jesus' return when he's actually going to rule and conquer. And that's what we await. And so in God's eyes, and just as Peter says, one day or a thousand years as one day as the Lord, God is outside of time. From God's perspective, it's already done. This is what John, I believe, is talking about in this particular passage. If we were to also compare this to Paul's theology, 1 Corinthians 7.31, he says the same thing for the, pres- the present form of this world is passing away. Paul, the apostle, believed the same thing. In the context, he was urging married couples to godly living because the world and all the things in the world, they're temporary. Same with us. Everything that we may acquire here right now in this life, it's temporary. It's transient. We want to store up um, eternal blessings. But instead of being like the world, we want to abide in the Father's will. And again, if we were to look at 2.17 again, it says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, contrasting the carnal world is the one doing the will of God. The doing is, again, a person whose life is marked by uh, consistently doing what is pleasing to God. And what is the will of God? Let me just read this. First John 3.23. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. The will of God is to keep the commandments of God, namely believing in the Son, God, Jesus, the Savior of the world, who gives light that we no longer walk in darkness. And the second aspect of God's will is to love one another. This kind of love is selfless, seeking the best for brothers and sisters. It doesn't, it's not self-fulfilling. It looks and has objects of our people become the object of our love. It's an expression of God working through us to others. See, people in the world will show affection and love for one another, but if a person does not believe in Jesus, he is still a part of the world and its systems. The world corrupts and perverts truth. The world will tell you same-sex marriage is okay. The world will tell you it's okay for a woman to become a man. I have already mentioned this earlier. They may parade around, cheer, and show great affections for one another, but still, this is not biblical love. You see, God is the determiner and the definer of love. And if we're not loving the way that God has called us to in the Bible, it's not real love. It's passing. It's fleeting. It's temporary. The person who abides in God's will by consistently believing in Jesus and keeping his precepts It shows evidence of belonging to the family of God. Again, the book of 1 John is considered as test. That is, John is laying out several arguments that helps to validate the mark of a true Christian. It is the test that we use to examine our lives in light of God's truth. Do you love the church? 
Do you confess that Jesus is Lord? Do you confess that Jesus came in the flesh? Do you confess that Jesus is fully God and man? And if you do not confess that, it's probably because you're not really in the Lord. It really comes down to this when we think about this passage. We do not want to be, we do not want to love the world because we do not want to be like the world. You see, we, the people of God, know their outcome, and we do not want to participate, participate with that end, which is destruction from God's, by God, from God's wrath. Our love for God is a display of our authenticity, for it will be visible within our local church and, our, again, us serving one another. Christian, if you have been loving the world, holding and clinging for the things of the world, then you must repent and be fully devoted to the Lord. And if you are strayed and you, if you do not believe in Jesus, it is a time to repent, turn from the world and turn to Christ. Put your faith and trust in his righteousness and his goodness. That way that you're able to have and abide in the Father's will, the Father's character, but also the Father's love. Amen. Father in heaven, we just thank you for this time. I thank you for these saints. I thank you for them being a light. And Lord, I just pray, help us to adore Christ more, to love Christ Jesus more. I pray that you will please illumine our hearts, Lord God, that we will seek you and walk with you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.